Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be starting the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the last time we, we finished up Nehemiah, okay, chapter 13. Nehemiah is really a great book, letter. Some of these things started out as letters like Philippians and we kind of put it together and bind it physically. We call it a book. It's the same thing though. But going back to Nehemiah, so we finished up Nehemiah. Nehemiah, there was a lot about leadership. And I look at Nehemiah as a real treasure in the Old Testament. You know, when we think about leadership in the Old Testament, right away we think about Moses or Joshua. Uh, but Nehemiah is, is a gem in there. And I really hope that, you know, as a body, that as we go through each book, that we take something from it, that we learn something. I learn something every time I teach a book. And, I mean, we could do what a lot of churches do. It would save us a lot of time, me especially. It would save me hours of study and research. We could every Sunday just teach topical messages. Love this week, forgiveness next week. And, you know, after 10, 20 years, if you don't really dig deep into the Scripture, you don't grow. I mean, God's Word is there to teach us, is to discipline us, is to, you know, to help us, to give us wisdom. So I, I really, really encourage the body that any, every time we go through a book to say, well, what is God trying to show me through this particular book? So this morning we're going to be in Philippians, and I'm looking forward to Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we're going to really only cover 11 verses uh, because I, I, there's a lot of background that I want to show you and I want you to hear. Uh, and then we're going to cover really five simple elements to the Apostle Paul's opening. So after that, we'll just go through the rest of the book and we'll see what God has for us in that. So just a quick overview, very simple, who, what, where, when, why, how, you know, who wrote, uh, who was it written to, and it was written to the Philippian Christians. And I'll tell you in a few moments where that is and where that was and where it is today. Um, again, Philippi is, if we could go with image number one, the map, Philippi is, was, still is, in northeastern Greece. So if you look at the map and you look at what's going on today in the European area, uh, over here is Philippi. And this is still Greece. Greece has been around for a long time. Uh, this is Italy over here. This is modern day Turkey over here. Now in Philippi is what was called, and we'll get to that slide in a few moments, the Ignatian Way. There was the Appian Way, which, was in, which still is in Rome, that ran uh, southeast down Italy. And then the Ignatian Way is over here, which really runs east and west. Check this out. This is, the Lord is so amazing. Men have this idea of, of grandeur and what they want to do and expand their empires. And God says, that's fine. I could work it off of your free will. I, I still am going to get my will accomplished. So if you look at the Appian Way, the Romans wanted to spread their empire east into the Near East and the Middle East area. So you go down the Appian Way, you cross over the Adriatic Sea, which is still the Adriatic Sea, and you go east across the uh, Ignatian Way, and you end up in Turkey, and then you end up in the Near and the Far East. <laughs> Christianity started, what? In the Holy Land, over here. And what did God need to do? 
He needed to get the gospel west. So the Romans thought they were going to move their empire east. But the very roads that the Romans built, the Christians used, right, to go westward and spread the gospel to Western Europe and the rest of that world. And of course, they went east and the uh, Apostle Thomas went all the way to India. Spent a lot of time with the Indian Christians. Amazing. So man has his plans, but God is going to get his will accomplished. I just love that. I'm just a real, as you know, if you've been here for a while, I'm a huge history buff, archaeology. If you were to go into the Holy Land, you would still see these artifacts and ruins. So if we could move to the second slide. This is the amphitheater. Any notable city had an amphitheater for open-air preaching. It's funny because there are some even stadiums today in the United States that they're building because of the feel of the open air and the stars. And, of course, it's weather permitted, and some of them actually have uh, electronic retracting domes and such. But this was, <laughs> this was something that, you know, you could see the Apo Apostle Paul in here and and preaching and, and the way the acoustics were set up, everybody could pretty much hear him without modern amplification. So here are the seats, etc. If we can go to the next slide. These are ruins, you know, the, the different artifacts from Philippi. And, you know, sometimes you look at the ruins and you're like, oh, it's no big deal. But remember, weather destroys them, vandalism, looting, wars, earthquakes. But I tell you what, after thousands of years, a lot of these things are still still sound and in good shape. Next slide. This is a picture of the Ignatian Way. And what the Romans did was they would use these huge boulders uh, and they would lay them out. And then in the gaps they would use smaller stones, medium-sized stones, and then little stones. And then they would put a layer of uh, crushable sand on top, right? And sometimes people use that for their paddocks. Uh, and the people would be able to walk along these roads. Some of these roads, and again, this is thousands of years old, folks. They're still in good shape. I have to make a little bit of a joke. You look at some roads in New Jersey after 10 years, <laughs> come on, where's DOT? You know, where's the state? There's potholes everywhere. <laughs> so so this, isn't pretty, this isn't bad for ancient civilizations, okay? Uh, now, you can see there's, there's growth and overgrowth, and, and the Romans even had mile markers, they would have their mile markers so you knew how long it would take to get to. And we see mile markers on our highways, right? I love the people who scoff at the ancient civilizations. They did a lot of this stuff without computers and electricity. But, so this is what you have here. Uh, these roads, some of them would be as wide as 20 feet wide. And you would be able to get chariots and horses and people could come and go. Um, through these roads, across these roads, there would be Roman patrols for safety, etc. Okay, let's look at the next slide. Now, this one's not so pretty. Actually, that's a dungeon, and that's the Mamertine prison in Rome, in Italy. And basically, you have this is the, the ceiling, which is actually the floor. This is underground. Now, it's really nice that when they bring tours through, they have really pretty little lights in there, but back in the day when they threw you in the dungeon, there were no lights, obviously, right? And down here on the floor, it was the, the Mamertine prison or the Mamertine dungeon was very close to the sewage system, so at any given time you would have human waste making its way through. Uh, actually, as I was going to do my studies, I, I found the Mamertine prison, and it was actually a YouTube video that had the wor five worst prisons of all time, and this is one of them. It was a disgusting place. It was unsanitary. 
Um, you know, Paul in his life was arrested for doing something simple like preaching the gospel far into us in the United States, but just take a quick travel a thousand or so miles and keep going in, a, in either direction and you'll find yourself in countries where doing something simple like telling people about Jesus Christ is illegal and you can be thrown in prison and you can be there for a long time. So the Apostle Paul started under these little skirmishes and he wasn't a violent person, uh, but just by what he was saying he would get arrested and he would spend time uh, chained to a Roman guard and you know it's amazing when you read his letters we complain about a lot of things in American culture that we really shouldn't complain about here you have letters about joy and peace and all those really neat things that are so elusive in American culture and he had joy and peace and all that being chained either to a Roman guard or in a prison or in a dungeon um, I, I really believe that the Apostle Paul used that opportunity as he was chained to those Roman soldiers uh, those jailers to um, tell them about Jesus, of course, and he alludes to that in his letters. Uh, so there was certainly a captive audience because they couldn't go anywhere, you know what I'm saying? And plenty of the Romans got saved over the years through the efforts of the Christians. Okay, so this is what's going on. Uh, if we can just continue on. The history of Philippi itself. It was founded in the 4th century B.C. after being taken by King Philip of Macedonia or of Macedon, and he was the father of Alexander the Great. So Philippi, he named, of course, the city after himself, like many conquerors did. Uh, later on, the Roman uh, Caesar, Augustus Caesar, turned the city into a Roman colony with military outposts, and actually part of it was a soldier's retirement community. Now, it's amazing that the Roman patrols had the side effects of making the roads safe for Christians from bandits and pirates and robbers, um, and, and Paul still got himself into trouble here and there. The, the devil was after him. But uh, you could see that through the, the, the roads and the patrols that the Christians could go anywhere and preach the gospel. is pretty amazing. Um, a little bit more about Philippi. It was mainly a Gentile area, as you could imagine. But they also practiced what's called syncretism, which a lot of American culture uh, is practicing. You know, a bunch of different people come together and they... They combine their gods. Well, you know, you worship Zeus, I worship, you know, this guy, and you worship Ganesh, and oh, it's okay, they're all the same. Sort of a polytheism, but a syncretism as well. And last thing about that, that area was there was a major Roman battle fought in 42 BC. And you can see how I'm, I'm pulling in history and everything into this, where uh, Octavian, who later became uh, Caesar Augustus, and Mark Antony, fought with Brutus and Cassius and their forces, and Brutus and Cassius lost. And of course, uh, Octavian goes on to become Caesar Augustus. Okay? A little bit of history about Paul. On his second missionary journey, he's in Troas. He receives in a vision a man from Macedonia say, we need your help. Come over here. And this is a vision. Come preach the gospel to us. So what happens is he makes that bridge from what we know as modern-day Turkey westward over to what we know today is Greece. So he arrives. Of course, this, this was God's will, and that's why he had that vision. He arrives, he finds not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue, but he finds a bunch of ladies, a bunch of Jewish women who, who were godly women, women of faith, and who would often go by the riverside to pray uh, and to meet and to go through God's word. And many of these women later became Christians. And you can see how the church was started from this faithful group of ladies. 
Chuck Smith talks about Costa Mesa and how, um, how he always had this faithful group of women who would come together and pray for the church and the pastors and stuff. And he attributed a lot of his success to those, those faithful women. And if you read anything on Bible commentaries, all the Bible commentators say it was because of those women. You know? And they probably thought getting together by the riverside this isn't going to amount to much. And here we are 2,000 years ra later reading about this church. Pretty impressive, isn't it? As I quoted before, Zechariah 4.10, don't despise the small things. Uh, and again, I have to, it's the brainwashing in American Christianity. Everything has to be big. Smoke, mirrors, lights, you know, uh, thousands of people. Otherwise, it's not successful. That's, that's not scriptural, by the way, at all, in anywhere in the scripture. Okay? So, when was it written? Around A.D. 61 through 62. Why was it written? Well, a few reasons. The Apostle Paul thanked the Philippians that when he was in prison, they actually came, by the way, from Philippi to Rome uh, is about 800 miles. And they came, the Philippians, to visit him and minister to him. Here you have the, and I think sometimes people lose sight of that with leaders. Everybody looks at Paul as this superman, this super solid, super strong. And you know what? Paul had his moments where he needed to be ministered to. And he was overjoyed that the Philippians showed up with gifts and, and spent some time with him. Um, you know, leaders need to be ministered as, to as well. And he was so touched by it, that is part of the reason why he wrote Philippians. Right? Back to Philippi. Thank you so much. Your love is... You know, was, I think of you, and I, I remember you, and I have just joy in my heart. And there was a lot of reasons why he was thrilled with the Philippians. But a main part of the Apostle Paul's letter was a three-letter word. Again, that's very elusive in American culture, and that word is J-O-Y, joy, the elusive joy. How do I find joy? What does that word joy mean? Is it happiness? I spent a, a, one of my sermons talking to you about the difference between happiness and joy, and joy is more powerful. And we, we actually, I don't even hear, you know, whether it's the news or, I don't hear the word joy used that much. G John, in John 15, 11, Jesus said, referring to our relationship with Jesus via the vine and the branches, Jesus said this, quote, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, joy comes from God. You know what I'm saying? You want to live in joy? You can manufacture it, you could pretend, but joy comes from God. And he says, these things, Jesus says, I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I have come to give them life and that life more abundantly. Christians, some Christians have the idea that we're supposed to be, just sit there and be pious and be stone-faced and, and, you know, deny ourselves. And, and there's just like an extreme. I tell you what, I've never laughed so hard since I became, I tell you, my pastors and I, those walls are paper thin. Sometimes we, it's all just good, clean fun. We laugh so hard, we're like ridiculous. People probably think, what's wrong with I, my ushers? You know, my, and they're in their room, and I'm walking down the hall. I hear them through the walls laughing, just having a good time. You know what I'm saying? It's to know that you're saved. Wow. Did we lose sight of that, brothers and sisters? Jesus came to die for our sins, man. <laughs> he is the source of that joy. So the Apostle Paul is going to show us that even through, and this is the key, this is the key. I want to challenge everybody here. You don't have joy. You're struggling. You're having a difficulty. I want to challenge you to stick around because he's going to teach us how to have joy, not because you won the lottery, not because all your friends are not giving you a hard time in any particular day, not because all the kids are behaving, 
joy in the midst of circumstances, no matter how difficult they may be. So I want to challenge you on that. Real briefly on Acts 16, uh, the Apostle Paul meets these Jewish women. As I said, Lydia is converted. Other women are converted. Uh, the Apostle Paul runs into a slave girl who's demon-possessed. He casts the demon out of the girl. The master's not happy because it's a long story. She was demon-possessed, and, and now she's freed from this demon. So he's angry, and he gets Paul and Silas jailed. Uh, he goes to the magistrates. They, they take him to prison. They beat them. They jail them. Uh, and there's an earthquake that frees them. The Philippian jailer is converted. Paul's, Paul's life was, was somewhat of a roller coaster. And I've heard that expression today, oh, my life is like a roller coaster. Let me tell you something. His life was really a roller coaster. Okay, so it's, I heard somebody recently say, he goes, you know, if a bunch of people put all of their problems into a pot and get to pick the ones out that they wanted, he goes, sometimes we complain, but when we see other people's problems, we would probably pick our problems right back out of that pot. <laughs> Some wisdom in that. Uh, now, this is what I do. I'm weaving a foundation here of history, archaeology, geography, and biblical works. And what I do a lot of in my teaching is apologetics. And apologetics come from the Greek apologion, which is a courtroom-style testimony. It's basically the, God compels us. He says to us, know what you believe, study the word, and if someone challenges you, have an answer for the faith that is in you with respect, right? If we're... You see these debates, people are shouting at each other. That doesn't work for us. You know, the spirit of humility and respect for the other party. They don't know yet. We're trying to give them the message of salvation. And how do we do it? Delivery is everything. All right? And this is important because we have a lot of young people in here. You go out into the world and your friends challenge you. Um, your college professors challenge you. Well, here you go. Did Philippi exist? Of course it did. It's still around. Is there a history with the Bible? Sure there is. Now let's start building the blocks to uh, solidify what we know, right? Did Jesus exist? Nobody denies that. What year do we live in? 2016. It's based on Christ's life and death. So why the heck are we living in 2016 if some Jesus person never existed? Who started all this? And why do we still use that figure? Well, give the government enough time, they'll remove that too, and they'll just put some other number in there. Uh, I shouldn't say that because you give them these ideas, and they, they try so hard to sanitize God from our culture. He's still going to be there, whether you like him or not. His Holy Spirit is still going to be here. Um, so let's jump in. Verse 1. Okay, so there's going to be a quiz on this next Sunday. <laughs> Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So the first out of five we look at is uh, the greeting. Bishops. There was somebody that had kind of had a lead logistically, administratively in, in some of these churches, and this is what bishops did. A little bit different today, uh, and, and I have to, I, 2,000 years, the terms change, the terminology changes. You know, bishop, uh, sometimes they're looked at as these super holy, don't touch them, um, the vestments, the position, uh, the pedestal, that's not the way it was in Scripture. You know, uh, unfortunately, 2,000 years of human culture can change, but the Bible hasn't changed. It's my job to bring us back to what was the original meaning. These were regular people like you and I that had a, a task to do, and they were good at it. Okay, the deacons. The deacons were the, the servants, the volunteers. Still have deacons today. 
And some use that, again, I, I'm a bishop, I'm a deacon. I've seen some of these churches. I'm a bishop, I'm the deacon, I'm the healer, I'm the candlestick maker, I'm the butcher, the baker. And oh my goodness, it's like a general, yet your chest is filled with emblems. For heaven's sake, you know, there's a little bit of pride there. Uh, but there should be a little bit of bishop in all of us, a little bit of deacon in all of us. And certainly he, he said to the saints or to everyone, everyone to those in Christ. And again, I came from a religion where we were taught that no one's a saint here. That's only for dead people that are posthumously recognized by the church and canonized. No, Paul wasn't writing to dead people. He was writing to people who were very much alive, to the saints. We're saints. We're set apart for Jesus Christ. It's very simple. Hopefully over time we look less and less like the world, the rebellious world against God, and we look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's what a saint is, a person who's set apart. Not untouchable, not sinless. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, the second uh, element that we're going to look at here. And that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Peace, right? So let me back up. Grace. So I've sinned. I know where I should be going when I die. However, I trusted in Christ who died on the cross for my sins and yours. So guess what? I'm not getting punishment. I'm going to get grace instead. Wow. Uh, sign me up for that deal. So grace and peace. And peace comes from the grace at the cross. How do we know this? Romans 5 tells us that true peace is peace where we're not at enmity with God anymore. And this is what the world doesn't understand. If you're not a believer in Christ, you, you know, listen, we're all sinners, but if you're not a believer in Christ, you are still at enmity with God people say, oh, it's like this romantic, emotional. We can work ourselves into, into any type of frenzy. I have my own relationship with God. I don't have to believe in Jesus. You have a problem because the time to find out that you're wrong is not when you're dead and you're standing before God and you can't do it over again. And this isn't a mean thing. Jesus came because of sin. He took our sin on his body on that tree 2,000 years ago. So guess what? Romans 5 tells us we have peace with God. No more enmity. We've been adopted as children into his family. Love it. Okay? Other peace comes from peace in the midst of life's, life's tumultuous circumstances. Right? I mean, we all can admit that at times our life is tumultuous. It's rocky. It's messy. It's not always pretty. So different... I, you know, I couldn't help myself. And maybe it's just the way my mind works. But I'm looking at all these layers of peace. How does this happen? What comes to mind is like a seven-layer chocolate cake. You know what I'm saying? One layer is just as good or better than the other layer. And this is what you have when you have peace. You have all these layers of peace. Pretty amazing. I had a coworker say to me, you know, in my religion, in my religion, uh, I see God as a vengeful, angry, hateful type of God. He goes, and it's a Christian denomination. He said, when I talk to you, Joe, he goes, I see God as loving, caring, out for my best interest. He goes, I like listening to you. I said, brother, it's all in the scripture. I'll keep telling you it, but you can find it for yourself in the Bible. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take the beauty and the perfection and the, the, the caring and the loving nature of God, and he wants to turn God into this mean CEO somewhere, this heavenly CEO who's just looking for us to produce. And if we don't do it right, he's going he's to harm us. Listen, we brought sin on ourselves. He didn't do that to us. He actually provided the remedy. It's all in how you look at things. What came first? 
right? Perfection on his part. We've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. If Adam and Eve didn't sin and ruin everything, I'd be faithful to ruin it myself. Somebody would have done it. But God, and you're all laughing because some of you might have probably, well, we all would have done it. And the fact is, our sins need to be dealt with. So peace. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Apostle Paul was thankful, he was joyful, as he remembers them. And that's the third element of his opening. And what is it based on? True Christian fellowship with the gospel as the anchor. What's the gospel? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I love 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son the world might be saved. I love 17. People often quote 16, but 17 goes with it. God didn't set everything up to condemn us, right? He set it up. He let us make our decisions. Even when we made bad decisions, he found a remedy for us, just like with our children. You know, our children and our loved ones, they do things and they hurt us and they don't realize it and they hurt themselves. And what do we try to do? We try to find the solution for our children. And some parents agonize, depending on what you're going through right now, that you're, you're always looking for the solution to save your kid. Well, God did that with us, you know? And one of the things that brought the Apostle Paul joy, and as we go through this book, right here, one of the things is Christian fellowship, true Christian fellowship. I can tell you that in Syria and Iraq, the Christians, I tell you, when they get together, they are, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know, I remember our um, missionaries to Afghanistan, talk about a rough area. When they found other Christians they could fellowship with, they, were, they had joy because they were being hunted down. They were being persecuted. They were being arrested, interrogated, right, by the police because it's, it's illegal there. Um, so joy. Christian fellowship is one leg to that. Do we see Christian fellowship? You know, I find that it's just this thing. You know, this, this Satan tries to get us to isolate ourselves, not come to church, not fellowship, not answer phone calls of somebody who's checking up on you because they're genuinely concerned. And then when we're alone, he can feed us these ideas that are just not, they're dysfunctional. And it causes us to further isolate ourselves and further harm ourselves. It's like that impala who's young with all the other, the herd of impalas. And that lioness is just waiting for somebody to be picked away from the crowd so she can pounce and attack. And she's got him. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, the Bible tells us. So the Apostle Paul really, because of the persecution especially, he just had that, that joy. Because of that. And even his remembrance of the fellowship. Oh yeah, I remember when we were down at the river and just praying and talking about God and uh, just fond memories. Well, he's sitting chained to a Roman soldier and, and having his freedoms cut short. Today, by today's standard, happiness, this kind of stuff comes in when, again, somebody wins the lottery or they, they hit it big and they get the job that's paying six, seven figures or, and, you know, whatever. Um, things happen in the world, but this had to do with spiritual things. It didn't have to do with material things. And I, I feel the same way the Apostle Paul feels. And I'm, I'm great. You guys go on to be successful. That's wonderful. But I'm, I'm happier and I have joy when you go on to be faithful to God. That brings me joy. 
Because you know why? All the studying, all the sitting in front of the Word document, all the opening the books, all the praying, putting the messages together, it makes it all worthwhile. What am I here for? What am I doing up here? What am I doing up here? No, it came back to me. But basically, say you're awake, that's awesome. But basically, his remembrance of those believers put a smile on his face. When I hear of your stories and your answered prayer and your marriage is getting better, I put the smile on my face, you know, or just that time that we spent together at Sandy. It was a miserable place. Pastor Vinny was showing me a whole trailer park. The waters got so high, it wiped out every home. It ruined the place. It was depressing. But there was fellowship. And when we were giving out those, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's cards, just walking down the street, helping people, doing work with them, it was what a great feeling. The circumstances were miserable. You could smell the sewers. You could see the devastation. But there was something going on beyond that, those physical circumstances. You, 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 you know what I'm saying. You get my point. Verse 6 Apostle Paul says, being confident, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what God starts in us, beginning with salvation, that good work, he will absolutely complete it in us. Let me repeat that. What God starts in us, beginning with salvation, that good work that he's doing in our lives, he will absolutely complete it. Period. You know, sometimes we hinder our own progress. I've been self-defeating too. I'm not, I'm not talking down. I know I'm, I'm elevated right now at this stage, but, but I, I'm, I talk, talk to myself sometimes. I can defeat myself. I get it. You know what I'm saying? There's a side of us that still is part of that old nature that we still do things that are ridiculous. And so many quit on God and quit on themselves. You know? And God's going to complete that good work in us. Right? So I ask you this question. I asked, who wants peace? Who wants joy? Now I want to ask, who wants that good work that God started in you to be completed in you? I know I do. I definitely do. Right? You know, it's the, I think one of the saddest things for me to watch are those that it's, it's just right there for the taking and they willingly de- destroy themselves. You know, they willingly... And, and I don't, it's not a judgmental thing. It's a sadness because we don't have to be like that. And I think what happens is, and again, here's another lie, so many lies from the enemy. The lie is, well, if you're in ministry or you're a pastor or you're, it's that, that's what, who it's for, it's not for you. It's not true. You know, this isn't something where we have to be an elitist class for these things to happen. This is available to everyone. It doesn't mean we have to be a super Christian. This is available for everyone here and now. I, I, I look at our society too and, you know, is it a coincidence that, and don't get me wrong, I, I actually, believe me, I, I'm very patriotic, but I wonder why here in the West we have so much in the terms of material things, but we also have the highest rates. Think about fishing communities in the third world country, Right? farming communities, people live a simple life, they have a family life. And here in the West, we have so much, but there's also so much unhappiness, so much defeatism, so much, you know, I wonder if those two things are related. 
I think what happens is that the devil tries to get us focused on material things. He looks at every culture and he manipulates the landscape based on that culture. He's very smart, very strategic. But remember, God is greater than he is. So whatever he does, God can undo, right? If we are living in that life, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, going back to John 15 that I said, Jesus said, I want my joy to remain in you. Remain. I want it to stay there. I want it to, to abide in you. I want to abide in you. Jesus says this. So if we do this, we're protected. We're protected. Verse 7 and 8. He says, Just that it is, it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, we read about the Apostle Paul, and especially in Corinthians, and he was tough. He goes, you guys are setting a bad example to the world as Christians. You guys need to clean up your act. But here's a, this is the beauty that both, the both sides of the Apostle Paul, but he also had so much love. And in 2 Corinthians, he was so happy that they cleaned up a lot of the mess. And he was, he was uh, applauding them. You know what I'm saying? And, and the Apostle Paul had a Christ-likeness. So we can see the two things. We can see that sometimes tough love, man, it needs to happen. But, but here's the, the problem. When somebody does repent, are we there to lift them up and to strengthen them? You know? Because we all sin. You know, the longer I live, I think I'm, I just, I, I look out and I look at situations and I, I really just try to show grace. Because I know that every day, it's just me at the end of the day, I, when I'm, I mean, I pray during the day too, but at the end of the day, I repent for things that I've missed the mark. So how am I going to judge anybody else when I'm praying for repentance? You know what I'm saying? But I love this about Paul. He was, he was firm. He used discipline when he needed to, but boy, he was such a loving person. He had so much love in his heart for people. And here, I look at him as a spiritual father. And those fetters, those chains that were physically binding him, they, it couldn't jail his heart. You know what I'm saying? The love and the joy that the Philippians brought him, in, even in his memories, 800 miles away, those jail, those chains, those guards, they, it, couldn't, it couldn't stop him from experiencing that. It couldn't stop him from partaking of that grace. See, when you are a believer in God, the world becomes a, it shrinks. It becomes a small place because God is everywhere. God could give you a word of knowledge for something going on in another country. It's amazing how he shrinks the world, you know? It's like string theory and all those time travel and stuff. But, you know, God is the ultimate when it comes to that, right? Verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fifth element here is, is what would a father want for his spiritual children? I've chosen this to, to be done with for today's, this morning's sermon because I gave you a lot to chew on with the history and the background and the images um, so I want to close with 
what would a spiritual father want for his children? Well, the first thing he says is that your love may abound even more. What Christ can do through us is limitless. We're the ones who set the limits. And I say that as saying it as dysfunction. We, we set limits on, on God. We do this, and it's wrong. And we set limits on what God can do through us, and that's also wrong. Your love may abound more and more. He, they already proved that they were loving. They already proved that they were caring. Their love was in action through their feet, through the delivery of the, of the blessings and how they blessed other people in Philippi. But he, he wanted their love to abound even more. You know, don't, don't cut yourself short and don't give up on God. Two, that love, bound up in that love, is knowledge and discernment. This is so, so important because in the English language, the word love is, is just a, well, Pollyanna, it's just a big, it just kind of covers everything. I love chocolate cake, as I just told, told you, and I love my wife but too much chocolate cake will give me migraines, okay? So there's, it's a very different type of love. If I had to get rid of one, I would get rid of the chocolate cake. So, so there you go, you know? <laughs> Some of you, the ladies are saying, good answer. <laughs> so, so the bottom line is that... Where was I? <laughs> God's word has to be... Ba- I don't even where I got to that. God's word has to... Okay, love. I know what that is. The Greeks... There's four words in the Greek that I understand that I know for love, and I know those words. And each Greek word has a nuance, but love in American culture, again, is just a blanket. So basically, bounds up in that... So what I'm trying to say is that in our culture, if you watch a movie made by Hollywood, you know that, and I've said this before, there are movies, plenty of movies Hollywood has made about adultery. And when you watch the movie... Boy, it is so deceptive. You actually think this, they love each other. It's adultery. Is that really love or is it lust? You know what I'm saying? So love, I believe, has been a word that's abused in our culture. I believe the word friendship has been abused. I think a lot of words in American culture are used. They're worn out like, like mats. We need to just change the word and start calling it something else. But love has to be according to, to knowledge. So would we all agree that adultery is not love? Okay, right. It is a God's love. Of course it isn't. So only by knowing that in the scripture would you know that that is a true thing. So love has to be connected with knowledge, has to be connected with God's word, because we can be deceived into thinking that love or other things or joy or happiness. I had a guy who was uh, cheating on his wife who told me a while, long time ago. And I'm like, I'm like, what? You know, I'm trying to talk to him. And he goes, well, God, doesn't God want me to be happy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, your, your understanding of happiness is skewed. Are you talking about what does the Bible say? Where, where, are, we, where are we, bro? Are we supposed to be Christian? Let's start with the foundation here. Okay, so I think I've made my point about <laughs> that love has to be according to knowledge and also discernment. What looks good but is evil? Anybody could make a movie or a documentary and we can watch it. And I find myself, I'll watch a documentary about something that's spurious and there's a check in my spirit that keeps throwing up a warning flag. It's like when, you, when someone, a virus is trying to invade your computer and the, the little flag goes up and says, get off, you know, uh, shut the computer down, call your rep. So, but basically, discernment, what looks good but is evil. Hollywood can take, anybody can make a movie and you, you could believe anything is right. 
based on cinematography and, and well-speaking people and things like that. So I love this. Knowledge and discernment. Three. Or, and he says, so that you approve the things that are excellent. Not foolish. In today's culture, we're like that frog. I mean, the heat is so hot. You know, there's so many forces trying to change our values. Even in the church, trying to change Christian values. Well, you know, what God's word says. Satan did that. He said to Eve, he goes, did, did God really say that? Let me tell you what he really meant. You hear that all the time about God's word. So we start to change what we believe of what's right and wrong based on someone speaking very well or someone's manipulation, okay? But he says, approve things that are excellent, not foolish. It's like that frog who is sitting in a pot of boiling water and, you, you know, you make it warm. Well, hey, I like a warm bath too. So he's, he's, he's chilling. And then you turn it up and now it's really hot and there's steam coming up and frog's like, well, it's a sauna. Hey, who doesn't like being in a sauna? It relaxes the muscles. Before you know it, the frog's boiled and he's dead and he's floating on the top. Nice picture, huh? But that's where we are, I, th I believe, in American culture. And in the, in the church, in the pulpits, we're supposed to be pushing against that. We're supposed to be strengthening each other so we don't fall into that. Then how do we look any different from our unsaved neighbor? Right? Three, he says this, to do it with sincerity and without offense. Again, I'm not the... I'm not, I'm not shouting with anybody to get them to believe in Jesus. I'm not shouting with anybody about you know, debating them. I like to debate. I like a really good debate. But I'm not going to disrespect people in my debating. They don't know the Lord. My goal is to win them with love, not to beat them over the head and say, oh, you're so smart, Joe. I, I, I just have to follow. No, it doesn't work like that. It's a, it's a matter of the spirit. Okay, so sincere and without offense. 1 Peter 3.15 with with respect and humility. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this too. You know, the, there's a the huge debate, and there's a debate about a lot of things in our culture. And this, there's always going to be a debate, as long as there's abortion, about abortion. You know how many women I know that have told me stories about how they felt they were pregnant, they felt trapped, they felt lonely, and they went to Planned Parenthood or wherever, and there were people outside yelling in their face, shouting at them, holding up placards of fetuses. That's not me, man. That's never going to be me. And what I've heard from women who have talked to me about this said, you know, I just needed somebody to help me. And I might have changed my mind. It might have been a different outcome. You know, my wife and I took in a girl. She was 18. She was trapped. She had nowhere to go. And it was a long story. Alienated from her family, she was pregnant didn't mean to get pregnant. So we actually took her in our home for a year. We didn't tell her, as long as you're living here, you can't have an abortion. But what we did do is we loved her. We saved her money for her. You know what? She kept the kid. And the kid now is 16 years old. So was it a little crampy, honey? Moving, we had a little house at the time. Now we got somebody else living here. Sure. But to me, that's, you know, you got to make your own formulations. As Christians, we, we have to not be the people who are shouting at everybody. Jesus didn't do that. He won people with love. Now, don't get me wrong, Pastor Joe, you're getting soft on us. Is abortion murder? Yes, it is. However, I'm glad that we had a part in that young lady's life, and now she loves her son. She adores her son. So just while we're on the subject, too, 
Um, there is forgiveness. God is such a loving and forgiving God. He is so awesome. Like my friend, my coworker said, I'm going to keep saying that because that's the truth. I read this Bible cover to cover from in the beginning to amen at the end in Revelation. And I'm going to tell you, he's a loving God. And that's why Jesus came, to die for our sins. Isn't that amazing? It comes full circle. So, sincere and without offense. Four, filled with the fruits of righteousness, which only come from God. Right? Uh, five, and a lifestyle that would be characterized as giving glory and praise to Jesus Christ. And, and that's it. And, and you know what? Unbelievers are attracted to that. They do. They will see somehow, some way, it's not like a, a painting of him, but they see Jesus in us when we follow what the Scripture says and desire the Holy Spirit in our life to change us to be that way. So, if I could just put up the last slide and the moniker or the tag for this study is, well, there's the dungeon. Philippians, joy can't be jailed. That's it. Joy can't be jailed. We're going to cover joy, peace, grace, love, irrespective of our circumstances. And this from a man, the Apostle Paul, who keeps finding himself in trouble with the law, although he never assaulted anybody, never stole, never raised a hand to anyone. But it's just because what he was giving, the good news of salvation. This is from a man who's been physically assaulted. If you were walking with him in his later years, he could probably show you his back and the whippings and the beatings and the deviated septum from being punched in the face, and, and all the other things that happened, and the, the loss of hair and the dent from when they stoned him to death and they thought they killed him, but God brought him back to life. Okay? After Jesus Christ and God and the angels, I want to meet some of these people. I just want to talk. I don't know if God's going to let me, but uh, just fellowship with them. Just talk to them. Wow, that's... And he's, what's, what's your secret? He's probably going to say, it's the Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit. Here, this from a man, the Apostle Paul, was character assassinated and abandoned. As we go through Philippians, here's my challenge to you. I challenge you to be encouraged by the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. I challenge you not to come to church ever out of obligation, but because you want God to do a work in your life and you want to live what you learn from the Scripture. I challenge you to come to church because you want to worship God and you want to apply these things to your life. And also, to have victory in your life. To have joy in the midst of the trials. That's, that's the challenge. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.